Hi, I'm Dale McPhee. My definition of relentless is never quitting, always staying in there. I think I learned some lessons early on is you need to hurt, you need to hate to lose more than you love to win. And uh, in this job, when you're looking after people, uh, losing is not an option. So relentless is never giving up. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Relentless Podcast. This is Kyle Dubé, your host, and I have a very cool guest on the show today. I'm actually really excited about this. Uh, If you are an Edmontonian, you would know who this man is because he may not like me saying it, but like he's kind of famous. Like he's kind of a celebrity in a way. We have the chief of police for the Edmonton Police Service, Chief Dale McPhee, is on the podcast. Welcome, Chief. (laughs) Hi, Kyle. Great to be here. Uh, I think maybe we could tone down the, the famous part, but uh, you know, it's just great to be here to be able to chat with you and have a little bit of fun. We're going to have some fun. We're going to get to know Dale McPhee today. That's what we're going to do. I appreciate you coming on. Sounds like a plan. Um, let's let's actually, before we get into to getting to know you, where you come from, where you were born, uh, your first kiss, all that type of stuff, okay? <laughs> We uh, we met, so you started with EPS, and we're going to get to your whole career later, but yeah. you started with EPS, uh, was it February or March of 2019? February 19, yeah. Yeah, 2019. Then I remember you coming in, and I had heard some gr- uh, some great things about you, and and I know, you know, you're, you're, you're humble, you're going to throw a bunch of that stuff to the side, but I heard some great things about you from some other people, and then... I thought, okay, well, I got to meet this guy because of the work UCAN does. We were already working with EPS for quite some time. Everything I had heard about you in regards to like community and, and how you see the importance of, of us, you know, community members and organizations of police. But I thought, well, let this guy settle in. I didn't want to knock on your door the first week. Then we have a, a, a very, very good mutual friend named Molly Baldwin. Yeah, we do. Absolutely, we do. Out in Boston. And so she... When she found out she, that we hadn't met yet, all of a sudden she sent an email saying, you guys have to meet. You're emailing me on a Sunday, which I was like, why is the chief emailing me on a Sunday? But I thought that was cool. Boom. Within five days, I'm in your office. Do yeah. You, do you I, remember the first time we met? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think what I really like about you is we can share a candid conversation and, uh, you know, no strings attached. Let's just talk about what we need to get done and how we're going to get there. And, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a fun conversation. I, I kind of feel like I knew you before I actually met you through Molly and mm-hmm. just some of the good work that you were doing, very similar to the Roca program who I took a team over there a few different times and we actually taught some things to them and, and in, in uh, return, they taught us a lot. So mm-hmm. it was one of those things where you get the, a mutual friend makes the recommendation and it's amazing how those things go because yeah. it just introduces you to good people and absolutely i remember you starting it with the hockey story so it well, didn't no, take the, us long to let, get a little this, bit into let that. me tell you my side of what i remember yeah. so and you write about molly and and i'm not at the stage where i've taught molly anything yet <laughs> but she's taught me everything so i i i go to the office and truthfully like i'm not a, i'm not a nervous guy i don't get nervous to meet um big wigs so i come in it's and, and I heard all and I heard and I and I also heard oh he's so fun he's this and that okay which I now know is true all right <laughs> get in but honestly Dale because I can call you Dale yeah you bet uh, I don't know if you if you remember this and I don't know if it was the first three minutes or if it was the first ten minutes because we met for about a half hour um, 
I just remember sitting there, first of all, going, his office is pretty cool. He's got a big, cool office, right? Which I thought was cool. But you were kind of serious. So I was like, hey, how you doing? And you, you have to know this about yourself because I think I know this about myself too. If people first meet us, we have a bit of a presence. We're bigger guys. And I'm going to use the word not intimidating because we're not trying to intimidate people, but it's just this whatever. And I'm sitting there for the first 10 minutes. You're being all serious about this is what we're going to do in the city. And this is our plan. And we're going to do this. And we want this. And I'm like, okay, I thought this guy was fun. Like this guy's, <laughs> this guy's being all serious. Like I thought he was. And so then I, and everything you were saying was great. And then I said something along the lines of, cause then, cause then you let me speak. So, so I said something along the lines of, well, I have a smoke show wife. And I taught, I said, you did say that. I do remember that. Yeah. You burst out laughing so hard. And then we started talking about our, our hot wives and all that. And we were just laughing and all of a sudden, boom, it was like, we were BFFs. It was great, man. Yeah. No, it's, uh, (laughs) it's, I mean, it's once you get the comfort zone, obviously, as you mentioned, uh, you obviously got to get to know the individual and, and that was something that was pretty comfortable with you right from the start is, yeah. uh, you know, I think we're both somebody that don't take each other serious, but at the same time can be serious yes. and at the same time can get things done. Mm. And there's a time and place for each. And, uh, I, I, <laughs> You know, I, I think maybe you were dreaming in part of that. I don't remember the serious part. I mean, <laughs> you no, I'm telling you, man, you were serious. I, I'm uh, kidding, but uh, even at the end of the day, when you're meeting somebody the first time, you, you know, it's it's pretty important that uh, you get to know each other mm. and just uh, actually start to feel that comfort level. And obviously, talking anytime now, and I know my group speaks very, very highly of you. And you know, you've met a lot of my staff and mm. some of my leadership team yep. as well. So, yep. um, you know, when you're a partner. Uh, you don't throw each other under the bus. You're in it together, and I, th- I think we've uh, we've achieved that in a very short period of time. No, I think so too, and and I think it's all about relationships, right? Like it it is all about relationships, and and we we clicked really quickly, and of course we started talking. You still hockey. haven't introduced me to the smoke show, though. No, she. You know what? She she doesn't. She doesn't even like me. So like <laughs> she. So like she she's only human, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly, man. Like she doesn't come out in public with me. She doesn't. Yeah, she doesn't even admit that. She doesn't even use my last name. But like, she's. It's. Um, no, maybe one day. Maybe one day we'll meet the smoke show. Um, I've I've been dropping that since the day I, I I've been married to my wife because she is beautiful, and so you know I'm one, we're one of those couples, right? Where people are like, how did he get her? Yeah. And. Um, and but I've been saying that for years and years and years, and it actually does make people feel uncomfortable sometimes, which makes me happy because I think it's funny when people yeah. are uncomfortable. But you ran with it so fast, yeah. and I was like, "Okay, hey, this guy is funny. He's got a sense of humor. I like it." All that being said, um, I've really enjoyed getting to know you over this time, and and we'll get into our partnership with EPS and You Can Use Services later. But let's get to know Dale the man, not the the top cop. Where, where are you from? Like, where were you born? Where were you raised? Yeah, you know, born in Manitoba, uh, little town, just, uh, well, born in Winnipeg, just grew up a little town for the first 14 years, a uh, little town called Grass Isle, about 20 miles north of Winnipeg, and uh, rural kind of setting, small town, uh, and then at 14, we moved to St. Albert, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm the only kid, so my mom and dad and I and moved with my uncle and 
uncle had a plumbing business up here and you know and those are the times when actually everything kind of kind of like now everything was kind of crazy you remember mm. interest rates went way mm. over the th- through the roof yeah, we're talking about the times. 80s, 80s right? yeah. yeah so so when we came in here um then we moved to st albert and Long story short, uh, ended up leaving uh, at 17 to go to Prince Albert to play hockey. And okay, of course, so let's stop right here. Okay. okay. So so parents moved to St. Albert because for work. Yeah. Okay. With uncle. Lived in St. Albert because when we were first talking, this we, we established that we, I think we were neighbors almost. Because what street did you grow up uh, on? Sorrel. Which and is, I grew up on Sunnyside. So right. if you're familiar yeah. with St. Yeah. Albert, it's yeah. the S's. The S's, yeah. And you would have went to, what's junior Paul high? Paul Kane. Well, yeah, Paul Kane. So uh, Lauren Aikens. Lauren just Aikens. Behind, just behind it there. Yeah. <laughs> and Paul Kane, which I went to as well. But I think you're a couple years up on me. So yeah. we didn't cross paths. Yeah. But we were literally lived in the same neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. For three or four years, which yeah. is hilarious, right? Um, so, and, but you're your only child. Only child, yeah. Oh, man, yeah. I was hoping you had a brother, and no. his name was Chip. Chip. Because, <laughs> yeah. hey, here comes Chip and Dale. Yeah. Would that be amazing? That would be pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh. it didn't, didn't quite materialize, though. So. Man, okay, we don't we don't need to talk about your parents, and, and they're only having one kid. But you're in St. Albert. You moved to, because you were a hockey player, you played for the St. Albert Raiders, yeah. as a, the midget AAA, which you bet. this yeah. is where we got talking, because yeah. my one kid played for them. Yeah. So then you go to the WHL at 17. Yeah. Prince Albert. Prince Albert, yeah. And then that became a major thing in your life, Prince Albert. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, four years there. Um, played hockey the whole time, and uh, obviously had some good years there. We started out as the inaugural year of the Western Hockey League, which we didn't win a lot of games, but we learned to hate to lose. Yeah. Uh, won the Memorial Cup in 85, and, you know, then from there, shortly thereafter, got hired by the Prince Albert Police Service. In my last year junior, I broke my collarbone. I uh, was actually close to, to signing a contract at that time with Minnesota. Uh, ended up taking time off work to go to pro camp and made, had to make a decision. Had a, had the opportunity back then. There was three-way deals. Your, it was the International League, the American League, and the National League. And the old saying back then used to be, you're okay in the A, but you die in the I. And, uh, you know, that was a, it, I ended up turning out to be a pretty good league. But, uh, yeah, a decision had to be made. And, uh Went back to Prince Albert and chose a career uh, there and uh, was fortunate to grow up there and have some success in policing and uh, got exposed to a lot of different things, including, you know, over nine years as the chief of police there and then went on to government to to be a deputy minister for six and a half years and uh, and then here, um, okay, you know, okay, and in okay, the meantime... Yeah. You're really going great fast, family. Man. You're yeah. going fast. Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. Like, like you got a somewhere to be. Do you got yeah. somewhere to be? Like, <laughs> I need you here for four hours for this situation. Yeah, okay. I don't know what's so, Slow down. Okay, let's. We're gonna talk hockey for a second because yeah. I'm when I first found out you were hockey, I, I looked you up on HockeyDB. I'm glad you just told me about that decision because I wanted to ask you what happened because your numbers were unbelievable when you played in the WHL. Like, you were a hell of a player, man. Well, hell of a player. Did okay. Yeah, I Dude, mean, did you okay. were a hell of a yeah, player. Did okay. Yeah. And then Memorial Cup champion. How cool is that? Yeah, that was that was uh, something that you'll always remember, and you still always remember the, the players on the team. And Not a lot of guys get that. No, that's right. When you win, it's you just the memories become that much sweeter, and the stories get even that much greater, yeah, as you yeah, know. And yeah. stories get greater over time, Absolutely. too. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was an amazing thing. Uh, um, as a young guy, it's uh, something that you uh, learned a lot of lessons in those early years. You obviously learned how to speak to the media. You mm-hmm. learned how to grow up 
you basically had to be responsible your commitment you know a lot of uh, similar aspects to what you see in policing right now mm-hmm. you're, you're you're with a team you know uh, you get different experiences all the time and it's how you adapt and how you fit into that team that actually makes you ultimately successful so it's interesting you say that because to me uh, I, I would think first responders in general yeah hockey players make really good first responders because of that team aspect and because of the the urgency at times and because of the work ethic and because of the dedication that goes into yeah there's a lot that have had success but i wouldn't limit it to just hockey players i'd say anybody in that team environment Mm -hmm. play the sport because there's a lot of similarities right it's the commitment it's the dedication you know obviously maintaining your fitness Mm -hmm. the ability to keep your mind clear and Mm -hmm. you know to focus on the task at hand and so we Definitely, I've had a lot of people that come through the athletic background that have had some success, but mm-hmm. it's not just limited to the athletic background. It's no, that whole team aspect. Absolutely, yeah. but like my point is, like you know, team hockey sports, it, it, it definitely lends itself to this career. So then you're you're a police officer. So how old were you when you started policing? Uh, twenty one, turning twenty two. Okay. Twenty two. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. young. Young, yep. Young, because yep. back in those days, they were... T- I mean, I, 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 I dated a girl back in the day. Her dad started RCMP like oh, back in six the, months after he turned yeah, 18 years 18, old. 18, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, that's mind-boggling right. to me to think of... <laughs> right. I have a 22-year-old son. It's mind-boggling to me to think of him right. being a cop right now. Right? And, and, and the age of recruitment has gone up substantially because mm-hmm. of those reasons. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, back in the day, it was one of those things. And for me, it was a chance to give back to the community, but it was also a chance to do something different every day. And that, that's one of the unique things about this profession is you can have 20 different careers or 30 different careers within the same employer, uh, you know, and that kind of made it special. And there was never a list of what you had to do that day because it changed every day depending right. on what came in, right? Right. So, so you were policing for a good night. And then when did you become chief? How old were you when you became chief? In 36. Minnesota? 36. That's, yeah. So long, that's, that's, a, that's impressive. A, that's a unique me. story. Actually. That is. Yeah. So how did yeah. that all come about? So at uh, our uh, mayor uh, – uh, end up getting picked up for repair driving. Well, I'll back up a step. I got a, <laughs> this I got is a good, good story. Yeah, I got a, I got a call at about three in the morning, and uh, it's the the lawyer for our police commission asking me questions. So, picture my wife and I sleeping, and I wake up and start hang answering on, questions. On, I'm just picturing that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You okay. Got it. It's <laughs> yeah. looking good. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> You're only human. What, what were you wearing? <laughs> yeah. And uh, then they start questioning me and asking me, uh, you know, where have you been in the last uh, hour and a half? And I'm kind of like, what do you mean, where have I been? I've been sleeping. Mm-hmm. So I get summoned into City Hall. Uh, I think I got in there probably between, just between three and four sometime. And learned that our mayor got picked up for impaired driving by a member on our police service that had less than six months experience. Uh, it was lots of calls came in from the public. Long story short, um, a, it turns out that one of our officers uh, came in and took the mayor up to the chief's house. And, you know, you can just picture that. It's not going well. Chief was not a known or willing. He had no idea what was going on. Long story short, I left at 8 o'clock that morning uh, being uh, given the role of acting chief. So, and keep in mind, I had about a year and a half experience uh, in the, the ranks as, uh, as uh, an inspector. And my 
two I see, the guy below me had about six months and he went on and he's the chief of Saskatoon right now. Mm. So we had to basically navigate our way through some pretty tough times in the police service. You know, the police service was probably in jeopardy. Lots of uh, interference in relation to how it is. A lot of politics in relation to how it is. And, you know, we learned, <laughs> learned early on some of the best pieces of advice I got because I was also an entrepreneur. Uh, was you know when you're in a when you're in a pickle don't get a hamburger lawyer get a good pickle lawyer so we got we got we got some good lawyers uh, we hired Calgary Police Service Comms you know we hired an ethics uh, commissioner ethics uh, expert out of Ontario and we hired a another secondary labor lawyer out of um, Salt Spring Islands uh, Paul Sizens and. You know, spent a lot of money, but it was the integrity of the police service on that particular thing. Uh, you know, it lasted well over a year and a half. Uh, but, you know, we came out in pretty good uh, pretty good shape. And uh, not that long after, I was given the job full time. And uh, my 2IC inspector, shortly thereafter, I made him our deputy. And, you know, we basically had a chance to, to put all this back together and, and grow our police service in, in a lot of different aspects in good ways so it's it's kind of one of those things you never know when it's going to come sure but you either answer the bell and you get ready and and you prepare to make a few mistakes and try to limit the mistakes you make and that's partially by bringing in talent uh and yeah so it, it it's turned out to be a great career for me um owe a lot to that community in prince albert and those that believed in me early and because uh, you were there for what 20 how many 20, 26, and 26 and a half and, and half. nine and a half as a chief so essentially if it's okay if i say it this way a scandal was going on you get woken up in the middle of the night because we're trying to fix this we're trying problem. to find somebody that's not involved yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to, like you say, at three o'clock, four o'clock, you're showing up going, what's happening right now? Yeah, I, I didn't quite say it that polite, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but okay. yeah, something like that. And then by eight in the morning, they're going, you're acting chief. Yeah. Figure this shit out. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a pretty, pretty, yeah, it's, uh, pretty it's crazy a, story, It's man. a crazy story, but uh, it, uh, you know, makes you partly who you are today, right? Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. So it's kind of interesting because now people ask me about politicization of policing and politics, and you've heard some of it here, and it's kind of something that I know fairly well. Yeah, like, you're not Absolutely. Gonna, you're not going to fool me on what is allowed and what's not allowed. I yeah. Mean, uh, and that's kind of bothersome sometimes, but, you know, it's it's one of those things you, you grow um, and you take a lot of training and a lot of, uh, I had some, learning some really good mentors. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like like literally thrown into the fire. Thrown into the fire, yep. yeah. Yeah. That's, that's harder the fire, the stronger the steel, isn't that what that's they say? That's right. Yeah. That's right. You basically survive or you make it or you don't. And you know, I think that kind of lends well with your relentless podcast. I mm -hmm. mean, is you know, relentless is you you gotta know what you need to know to get it done and uh and you have to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons and you stay on course and stay on track. But, you know, at that point in time, losing is not an option mm -hmm. because your police service depended on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, it uh, I think it made us all stronger for sure. Sorry to interrupt the Relentless podcast, everybody, although this is a very good message. We want you to go and check out our Relentless merchandise store. That's right. We have launched a merchandise store for all of our relentless garb. We've got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got crew necks, we've got hats, we've got toques, and we're going to be coming out with some more merchandise in the very near future. So please, 
www.youcan.ca. That's Y-O-U-C-A-N.ca. When you get to the website, you look up to the top right corner. I think it says buy our merch. Hit that button. Boom. It'll take you there. We really want you to wear our stuff. One, because every dollar raised goes directly into our programming for the young people we work with. And two, because it's a conversation starter for you. When you wear it, people are going to go, what's relentless? You can then brag about how you support an incredibly good organization helping young people. And then you can talk about how you are relentless in your life. That's what we want. We don't want us to just be relentless. We want you to be relentless too. Thanks for your support, and we appreciate you helping us out. Now, back to the show. You So you then leave policing for a bit, and you go into government. Yeah. In Saskatchewan. Yep. So you were deputy minister of, was that what you were doing? Yeah, yeah. so I was deputy minister of justice, corrections, and policing. Okay. Um, so think of all the correctional services, all of policing, the oversight of policing. And that was, uh, you know, for a little six and a half years approximately. So, and then I also had uh, appointed from the deputy to the premier and the premier as I carried uh, the transformational change file as the, the senior deputy for those things that they were looking at. How do we transform government? So, so I had some of the files such as the social housing, you know, I had the mental health and addictions piece. And basically it was just looking at new ways that we could bring innovation and how we could actually look at these. So, so that was kind of just that an add on, but mm. uh, my main focus obviously was in corrections and policing. Mm-hmm. From there you came here. Yeah. Yeah. So did, were you still at the government and you left the government for this post or were you? Yeah. 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 Okay. So I went through the process here, you know, uh, I'm fortunate and I've had, you know, you know, thankfully and humbly, certainly every time you get it, but, you know, get calls from headhunters on a, on a, you know, obviously a fairly, I've had a, quite a few to, to be honest. And, but, uh, this one just appealed to me because it was a chance to, you know, capital city, I think I underestimated it. I was told that the city had really good data. I'm not sure they had it. Because if you're going to drive transformational change, there's there's some things that you actually need to do. Mm. Uh, in Edmonton Police Service, in, in my uh, kind of from that perspective, uh, checked a lot of those uh, boxes. And, you know, obviously knew a little bit about it growing up with St. Albert in, mm-hmm. in the area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just was one of those things that I thought was a good fit. Put my name in, went through the process. Uh was fortunate to be successful and uh you know here we are uh, you know and it hasn't disappointed me it's a lot of great men and women of the Edmonton police service you know the few that you know uh, in a in a when you have 3,000 employees the few that you know whatever break the rules or or maybe aren't doing as well uh sometimes and and make mistakes and don't own it those are few and far between and mm-hmm. we deal with those accordingly but uh, in a large part uh, it's a very good dedicated group of men and women both sworn and civilian that are really committed and quite frankly um, I've been fortunate because I was also president of the Canadian Chiefs Association to travel across North America travel across the country and you know I put our police service against anyone in this uh, in the North America space and I think when it comes to innovation I think we probably lead more than we follow uh, but again, that's all cyclical and you got to make sure that you maintain that and you got to be relentless on doing the right things at the mm-hmm. right time and, uh, and, you, and you can't alter that. And mm-hmm. if you're genuine, it makes it uh, a little bit easier, but you're always going to have some resistance. This is one thing that I've noticed about you. Uh, you're authentic. You really are. And 
I've had, you know, off, we'll call it offline conversations yeah. with you. And, um, and then, you know, I've seen you in the media and, uh, but you, to me, you are who you are. Like you kind of don't change, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, no. And okay. that to me is, is, you know, not trying to kiss your ass too much here, chief. But I mean, that to me is really good leadership, not just for the police, but for our community. Now, all that being said, let's call this what it is. And this, I am not a hard hitting interviewer. So yeah. don't worry. <laughs> you're, you're, these are softballs. Well, I've taken the hot stroke yeah. every once in a while. So <laughs> it's not how many you win, it's how many you show up for. That's right. right. Yeah. The police can, and especially after 2020, I mean, listen, 2019 and all of a sudden, COVID hits and then George Floyd, all this stuff. Yeah. Police have taken quite a beating here. Yeah. Um, that had to be so difficult to lead in that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it is like anything else. Go back to the first day on the job. Um, you know, it's it's basically making sure that you got the right people in the right chairs. It's it's it, and it's navigating and, and protecting the interests of the people and doing the front lines. So sometimes you got to take some of those shots and the bullets. Unfortunately, I felt really bad for the front lines because some of the disrespect that came out during that time wasn't warranted. Mm. Uh, I'd be the first to tell you, as many people of Edmonton Police Service, we were changing. Uh, some of the things in policing before George Floyd or COVID hit mm -hmm. because we wanted to be at the forefront mm -hmm. and we were having significant success. And then, you know, this whole defund movement came along and which makes no sense. It, mm -hmm. And it's failed in every city that's happened. Yep. You know, I've got the deputy chief of Wichita in the studio with me here today. And I've talked to lots of chiefs, uh, including a good friend of mine, who's now the chief of Minneapolis PD and, it, it's failed and the reality is because it's not about money it's about what do you actually need to change uh to be current how do you actually drive innovation how do you make sure your training meets the standard how do you serve diverse communities those are things natural evolutions of the good that's come out of this but the whole defund and lawlessness and letting all this stuff go on with no accountability is a no-win situation. Mm -hmm. Moving things to go to decrim and save supply of drugs as the solution uh, has been tried. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Like, let's stop retrying to reinvent the wheel. Let's use innovation to do the change that we need to do, which is what EPS has done. But, you know, it, it gets a little tiring when some people still think that they've never walked a mile in the shoes and they know the answers because some of it, quite frankly, is stuff that's been tried and hasn't worked where if you look at some of the things that we're dealing with in Edmonton right now, yeah, a lot of it isn't a policing problem, but guess what? We're 24-7, 365, and we take the call. Right. So we're at the center of that. And we're not going to be able to get out of that. So mm -hmm. what it really boils down to, and this is where you can, is a great example of this. We need to pick the right partners that can make a difference to put the right system in place to get that person help. And mm -hmm. if it's a youth in trouble, yeah, it could be you can get them employed, get them build their assets, get them successful. How do we intervene on the front end to prevent it? But then when we got the gangs and the serious stuff, quite frankly, they need to go to jail and they mm -hmm. need to be held accountable. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is, the only person that can make that is those frontline people through the right training because they know the individuals right. and they know what system can help them most effectively. So rather than moving money around, which this became that whole defund thing that you were talking about, uh, you know, policing is actually a small portion of the whole budget when you look globally. Sure. Um, 
it's like six percent the number of money social services is funded five to one to seven to one to policing always has been you don't send individuals that are going to get hurt when somebody's using meth and xylazine and fentanyl or whatever it is which is unpredictable you need to send teams and then you need to do the relentless outreach as the follow-up that's right that's the piece that's been missing here is everybody's yeah. worried about the first call it's the follow-up calls and taking the right system and get them connected as yeah. quick as you can and sometimes it'll be the justice system and sometimes it's going to be the health system yeah no absolutely and and it as you know i'm a fan of the police um i i actually wanted to be a cop a colorblind we can still get you in <laughs> yeah yeah Oh, gosh. I'd look good in a uniform. Yeah, you would. My, yeah. The, the smoke show wife would be like, look at you. And then she wouldn't talk to me. But anyways, um, I, I, I'm colorblind. Couldn't, so when I was 18, 19, I went on ride-alongs. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a cop. And then it was like, okay. Because I'd be like, yeah, it was the guy in the green jacket driving the blue car. And I'd be like, no, that's not what he was wearing at all, you idiot. Because I the yeah. colorblind. So I couldn't yeah. do it. I've always had a big respect for the police. Um, I think that's why we work so closely with them too, which we'll talk about in a minute. But back to the defund thing. Yeah. This is one thing, and Dale, I've said this to you before. I've said this to Anenya. I've said this to some of your top brass. You guys need to do, let me tell you what you need to do, okay? You guys need to do a better job of pumping your own tires as far as some of the stuff you're doing in the community. For example, you can use services partnership. This is a big reason I wanted you on this podcast because I want people to understand that the police are actually giving us money through their budget to work with some of the most highest risk vulnerable young people in this community. A lot of people don't know that. So at my comedy nights, I try to pump those up every because you guys buy a table for it. You're there. You're supporting us. Which, by the way, you've never come. You need to come. Um, but your crew's there. And I've pumped their tires because people need to understand this whole defund the police. You guys actually do put a ton of yeah. money into community partnerships because you're trusting. It's kind of like hiring a subcontractor. You're hiring us to do the job technically that you guys are not there to do. I lo also love the first time we talked when you were Mr. Serious for five minutes. You explained that transitional part, uh, 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 that transformational part, because this is the, the language we use too. Mm -hmm. We're trying to build transformational relationships with our young people. Mm -hmm. You talked about being transformational within a community and how there is the need for what we do. You can, working with police, relentless, kumbaya, okay? Then there's the need of, guess what? You got to fucking go to jail yeah. because you you're being a yeah. bad person, and I love that. That's you. You get that because some police is just no go to jail. None of the love stuff. Some some is too far over to the 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 community side. But I I do believe that you have this. This is why I think you and I get along, and 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 we kind of get this because when we look at the young people that we deal with, and they are some young people that a lot of people in our community don't even want to know they're in our community okay right. sometimes they got to go to jail yeah they have to it's actually better for them to be in jail and better for the community yeah you know it's uh i mean i and we can talk about it if you want on safer spaces because it's the same thing coming up here but you know the empathy and accountability are always in the same equation it's mm. not one or the other it's not you know the old saying used to be we need to be hard on crime and arrest and incarcerate you know some of the others would say we need to be soft on crime which are hugs and second chances and the yeah. reality is we need to do both yeah 
And what I learned, <coughs> my biggest lesson was when I was in charge of actually corrections. And we were studying overtime and corrections, <coughs> which was through the roof because people, the jails were full. And we were wondering how we do that. <clears throat> I think it was one of the major firms. I can't remember if it was MMP or, KP, or PwC or KPMG. Anyways, we hired one and they, they basically brought back a formula. And the formula says, you know, if you try this and you do this, you know, you could probably reduce your overtime by X. Well, that's nothing we didn't know, right? Mm -hmm. So... I'm a big believer it's like when you have two equal teams, the one with the talent will win if they work as hard. So then we hired a, an epidemiologist and a mathematician and economist to, you know, within the ministry, and we actually took a deeper look at this. And they came back and they said, kind of threw me off this one, said, we think if you let, and the numbers I might be off on a little bit, but they're close. If you let 5% of people out of jail, you might respect, you might get a crime reduction of, nine to 11 percent and i'm going let them out of jail and you get a crime reduction <clears throat> and then the the rider was that in the very next sentence in bold is but you need to let the right ones out mm. so the math the the methodology behind that is when you mix low risk individuals and high risk individuals in jail they all become high risk mm -hmm. in other words you're running a trade school mm -hmm. or a university of crime mm -hmm. and the reality is the best way to do that is exactly what you said how do we channel and slow down the feeder system or the funnel to actually not come into the system mm -hmm. and then how do we use the system accountable to have the right program when you mix them the two together the first thing you do is you're full and you can't do the programming so you have a double-edged sword that drives you backwards on both ways because you've never addressed the feeder system very similar result playing out in homelessness and in sure. Let's, let's use that example because I co-chaired, uh, you know, the Housing and Homeless Task Force, which I was also on the mental health and addiction. I was also on the human trafficking. And it boils down to this. <clears throat> if you don't build a parallel system in probably three of the regionalized First Nations, perhaps with Tasquin and Grand Prairie, a little bit of with Buffalo and a couple on the east, you'll never solve that homeless problem in Edmonton because your feeder system is just keep coming. That's right. So by paralleling and investing maybe partially in and then some outside to actually look at slowing down your track coming into the system, you have you compound or you basically make your chances of success that much more. And the reality is what we learned sitting in there, a lot of those patterns followed the correctional center patterns and a lot of them follow the hospital patterns. So mm -hmm. we could start by putting systems in place to find people their way home and connect them to services in some of their own communities. Right. In other words, you need to build a system. You don't need to build a function. And we tend to build a function, and we think that the way to solve this is, to your point where you started with, just build infrastructure and put housing up. Well, when 85 to 90% of the people in encampments don't want housing. Right. So, and sometimes higher. So, you got to look at the system and the needs of the individual. You can play this in so many different ways. You know, the whole drug crisis, you know, all of a sudden we legalized marijuana because it was going to take away the black market. It was going to do all this. It didn't do any of that. No. Cartels still exist. Mm -hmm. Now, did it affect much? No, because, you know, all that really went up was cheesy sales. But, you know, and then we're going to have a... I love cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't smoke weed, yeah, but I love cheesy. And then fentanyl. We don't need a fentanyl strategy when violence and meth is disproportionately driving that. When we had our conference here uh, basically a couple months ago, we had the chief statistician out here to say that he basically showed us the graphs. We have the highest rate, and I don't know if it was 21 or 22 that the, this slide he set, the rate of meth in our wastewater. 
So meth disproportionately drives violence. So rather than deal with the commodity, deal with the individuals. That's what you do. That's what you do in space. Mm -hmm. What does it take to make the individual successful? Mm -hmm. And when we learn some of that and we focus on a core number of that, getting 20% out of these systems is just leadership and getting the right people in the room. What doesn't happen, though, is we try to double down on thinking it's an infrastructure problem, but infrastructure is not going to solve it. So interesting. And as you just talked there, I, I just thought, I think to myself, you know what? I don't, I don't care what Dale's wife says. I think he's smart. I, <laughs> she might counter that. <laughs> Everything you just said makes absolute sense to me. And, and, when I, and when I go back to some of the stuff you were saying kind of in the beginning there was around the prisons and, and you, you put the, the, the low risk people in with the high risk and it does become this kind of university, this education system for criminals. Some people don't believe that, but it's true. And so EYOC, Edmonton Young Offender Center, um, listen, it's, it's got its place, it's got its purpose and I understand it, but I hate it when, when some of these young people go there because they actually do. I've always said one thing or another is gonna come out of this. They're either gonna learn how to be a better criminal or it's gonna scare the shit out of them and they're gonna wanna stop. That doesn't usually happen. So the work that we're doing together, EPS and UCAN, I just think it's crucial. Here's the problem. We need, right now we have five workers, okay? Yeah. Love the fact that you guys are paying for two of those and, and we've got money from other people for now paying for the other ones. Truth be told, man, and you know this, we need 15 of them. Yeah, it's, we, need, we need 20 of well, them. Well, and here lies the issue is, and why I say the partners, we need to, there's always going to be enough work for everybody. Mm -hmm. So we need people, right? Mm -hmm. But we, and rather than scale up the things that are proven, that have been evaluated, that have been measured, such as you can as all that, mm -hmm. and we can name you some others as well, mm -hmm. rather than scale that up, we tend to build five or six or eight different programs that haven't been measured. Right. So there's a lot of money in the system. And when we did the money in the system report a few years back, seven and a half billion dollars a year pumped into Edmonton every year for eternity. That's like building five Dallas Cowboy stadiums forever mm. uh, every year. And if you think about that, stop focus on the money, focus on the ones that are actually having success. And that's why we're trying to really focus on the partnerships that we can measure together we can fail, we can win together, but the last thing we need to do is throw each other under the bus. Mm -hmm. Because if we fail collectively, then we can adjust. Mm -hmm. If we fail and blame somebody else, it just becomes a whole group of problem identifiers. And I tell you, we don't need any more problem identifiers. Mm -hmm. We need some problem solvers. Yes. There's enough work for everybody, but we actually have to focus a little bit and but i actually think the sky is there for us to take it's there it's just it, it boils down in all you know from everything that i've ever worked with or studied or traveled and i've been pretty fortunate to speak all over the world uh it's leadership it mm -hmm. starts there we get kind of going in the same direction and we start stop trying to follow the Twitter rhetoric or the mm -hmm. social media mm -hmm. rhetoric whichever one you're on and focus on the things that work and in, in a, you mentioned that we got to sell ourselves, but the best selling feature for us is when you speak about what we're doing. Yeah, which, and, which and we do agents, a lot. I know you yeah. do. And, and, and likewise, the best success for you is when we get underneath you and say, you guys need to have a look at this. That's right. Which it, you guys do. Right. And which is great. So I can tell you the story. Uh, my daughter uh, teaches in a 
a school. It's a, it's a, basically it was a social finance kind of option school at one point where a family is funded and it focused on grade six, seven, and eight and people that weren't going to school and just focus on building assets. When I was a deputy, we took StatsCan in there and we studied how they've actually take kids that weren't going to school and they get up to a 96, 98% attendance rate and they create the success and then they follow them into high school with a worker and then they follow them into post-secondary. And the math basically boiled down and studied by StatsCan is when you can get people through school into either trade school or post-secondary, the rate of becoming involved in the justice system between a marginalized kid and a non-marginalized kid goes to zero. Mm. And so when we say, and here's another thing that's happened over the last thing when we get caught up on the rhetoric, why are we in school? So that's why we're in school. Right. It's to remove the barriers to keep them in school because if you can get them and create them the opportunity to success regardless of what's going on in their life, there's a chance that we're going to break that down in that cycle for that family for a long time, if mm -hmm. not forever. Mm -hmm. No different than you're doing it outside of the school because there's a portion that aren't going to school. Yep. But if we can get them back into the system and yep. create success, you start making one plus one equal three because you reduce the feeder system and then you deal with the ones that you have to in a, in a controlled setting like a correctional facility. This is, I mean, it, 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 it's it, it, as easy and simple as it sounds. It's not that difficult. It just basically you need the right service, the right individual to get through to them, knowing that some people you're never going to get through to. Some of the people that are out there right now, they're shooting each other, they're stabbing each other. They need to go to jail yeah, and they need absolutely. to be accountable. We can't let them out on a triple firearms prohibition and have them kill somebody else. Sure. They need to be held in custody. Yes. And they have the ability to rehabilitate however long it takes. Sure. But until they're safe, they can have a, a, an environment to stay in. Yeah. And we unfortunately try to go one way or the other. And the reality is we just need to be in the middle and we need to be consistent. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm catching everything you're throwing, Dale. I am. It makes sense to me. The Relentless Podcast is brought to you by You Can Youth Services, which I am very proud to be a part of. You Can Youth Services is an organization that helps young people move out of harm's way and onto a path of economic independence. If you want to learn more about the incredible work that we do with some very vulnerable young people, please go to www.youcan.ca. That's www.youcan.ca. Dale, what does a typical day look like for you? Because I'm assuming the chief of police doesn't sit in his office with the radio and you go, uh, there's some uh, crime in the West End. And then chief goes, uh, could we send some people to the West End, please? What does a day look like for you? Which I'm assuming every day is probably different. Yeah, every day is different. I mean, lots of meetings, lots of contact with the community. Um, you know, I like to try to get out and visit people as much as we can, mm -hmm. see how it's going, you know, hear from them. Sometimes it, it doesn't filter up to my office. So, I mean, yesterday I went and had a, a coffee with a couple of my sergeants, you know, some of the things that they've been through. And today we are speaking to some of the, the kids in relation to that are following their parents to work today. We had 50 some of them show up today and I'll tell you it was a pretty sleepy room this morning there. But, uh, you know, it's partially the community. It obviously partially working within and then of course there's a lot of meetings you know a lot of things in relation to the different organizations we're involved with who we're trying to form like we're talking what partnerships do we need to create success 
you know, trying to listen to some of the needs of the community. They've been doing a lot of meeting with the business community, trying to obviously how do we actually uh, educate on what we're doing on the safer spaces downtown right mm-hmm. now and uh, where that's going and what the expectations are that. So it's a blend of things. Um, uh, yeah, it can be long some days. But you know what? The good part about this job is you get to work with a lot of great people. Um I can honestly say for as long as I've been in the business, uh, that's what keeps me ticking. It's actually get to work with good people mm-hmm. and uh, come. And, you know, you have a few bad days in a row, uh, but, you know, it, they never last. It, it, there's always a bright spot. Somebody in your police service has done some great police work or they've done something with the community or somebody in the community has done something to help somebody. And, you know, it makes you smile, brings a smile to your face and basically doing something every di- different every day. So that way it, it, it's good. Very hard days uh, and really weeks and months after the shootings mm. in March. Um, I remember it very well um, because that was the night. Um, we had one of our comedy nights and the EPS had their table there. And so Anenya and Scotty Jones, like some of these guys yeah. that I know, like part of your leadership were there and we're having a blast. And then afterwards, we're high-fiving and hugging. What a great night. And, you know, and I pumped EPS's tires. And then they were getting you, and they were getting phone calls at whatever time it was, 12, 1 in the morning, 2 in the morning. And I'm just so sorry that it happened. Um, But it, it must be very difficult to lead in those times. Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, on credit to the men and women of our organization, you know, you know, we lost Travis and Brett, which the hardest thing about that is there's no way you can rationalize because what was done was just, just fundamentally wrong in every every perspective. So you, you can't rationalize it, so it makes it harder to grow into terms. And, you know, that particular night, I, within you know, a very short period of time, you know, within the hour I was in the, in the rooms with them in the hospital and with their families and seeing the hurt, seeing, seeing the breakdown of our men and women and just, you know, losing one of our own, you know, and, and not being able to kind of process that or understand it because it, there's no way of doing it. It's just, mm. just wrong to, to, to what happened. It's unfixable. Unfixable. Right. So, um, you know, we, we kind of, adopted the, the the philosophy that we need to lean in lean on and look after each other and it's a credit to to our men and women uh you know i i have to give full marks to our community for coming to our back mm. and uh and standing up and standing with us um this community comes together even back in you know 15 with dan woodall and uh who has uh mm-hmm. wife is in town right now so it's one of the things i'm hoping to see today and you just got to make sure that you're making contact with the families and you continue the, the contact and you got to check in on your folks. And, uh, mm. you know, there, there's no easy way out of this. It's time is the only healer. Um, uh, but we lost two really, really good police officers or two really, really good human beings and, and good people of their community that impacted a lot of other people in our service. And, you know, there's one thing that we learned through COVID and George Floyd and, you know, through the loss of Travis and Brett is we really got a part of keeping our people employed and keeping them with us is keeping them healthy. So we need to really invest in wellness right now, which we're mm-hmm. doing, uh, you know, obviously building resiliency, but also 
giving people the ability to unload some of the baggage because let's face it we see the worst of the worst on a lot of days right Mm -hmm. and uh, Mm -hmm. this is the worst of the worst day that you could ever imagine uh, whatever role you're in and uh, yeah it's just it's pride of the people and how we've persevered and you know kept the business going you know I I think of the number of people uh, when you get to that funeral the work of our you know, Krista, our course sergeant major, and, and a lot of other people that just put their heart and soul. And, you know, we had a family liaison, Greg and Dan, that were connected to the families and, you know, and made sure that they had everything they needed to get through the most difficult times that you could ever imagine in mm-hmm. a person's life. So mm-hmm. that's what family does for each other. Mm-hmm. You, you just, quitting's not an option. Again, back to the relentless philosophy, which I really like that, is that you just have to do what you have to do to get through it. And, you know, you hope for brighter days. And as I said, the only thing that can repair some of that is time. No, I, I uh, yeah, it was, it was quite a time. And just knowing so many police officers, knowing a lot of the leadership within EPS too, um, our, our, the whole city's hearts were broken and are still broken about this. And, and I will say, though, that, that I I you know that I know tragedy and, and yeah. I, I don't know if there's ever silver linings that can come out of certain things. Um, so I don't want to say this as a silver lining or, or like, oh, something, this, this was good. But I did think, I, I, I liked seeing the fact that the community who for a little while there mm. were shitting on the police a lot. Yeah. Really, that shifted, of course. It, it, and, and I shouldn't even say of course. I'm just glad it shifted and there was this real community support. And I believe Edmonton is like this. I do believe Edmonton steps up for for many things whenever people are in need. And I believe that they that they they did that for the families. And I also believe that there there was this level of compassion and empathy and, and love for the police and thanking the police, which I which I think was good. Yeah, you know, and and you make such good points and you know and I think it's always been there. It's just, you know, the extreme ends, you know, and I, I always liken it to politics and it's not that it's one direction or the other, but the extreme on one end was that defund and the extreme on the other end was, you know, get rid of government or whatever that case may be. And for a long period of time during COVID, those sides tired everybody out and that mm-hmm. vast majority of people were just trying to survive. They're surviving a live, pandemic man. and, yeah. You know, they were looking after their cells, which isn't wrong. And I think this galvanized those people to realize that, you know, there's there's other things that we have to do in a community. And, you know, that's not something that's not lost on us. It got us through this. It, we're grateful. And, you know, it's, as you said, as your time's a tragedy, which is something that also hit us because you're, 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 you're an extended family to us is the only way you can do is try to be there for people and and, and when they need to talk you you give them that ear and the ability to to let it out because mm-hmm. taking it inside as you know and as we know is is not going to help us we we got to we got to deal with it it's a, it's a reality that we didn't choose but it's something that we also got to find the path for because others depend on us mm-hmm, absolutely and i'll tell you you know people wouldn't even know this but but uh I won't go into the, all the details, but but I I, I had an extension from Fillion uh, messages after my son died, and and essentially you had given permission. Listen, if you need to go over there and help run, you can yeah. for 
two months, five months, six months, yeah. I'll just pay you to go do that. And yeah. I mean, that was just such a beautiful gesture. Mm. Um, and it, it, it did show me, I already felt it, but it did show me like, okay, we're, we are extended family here. We are. You partners know? are partners. You don't, yeah. partners don't, when there's mistakes, you own the mistakes and you mm. move on, right? Mm -hmm. You know, real true partners. And I, I always, and you've heard me probably say this before, I hate the word uh, collaboration because mm. I mean collaboration to me is kind of like that breakfast bacon and eggs right you know the chicken he was the collaborator the pig was the partner he was sure. committed he was committed to that breakfast right sure. and partnership is commitment yeah. and uh and and that I think that's the fundamental difference that gets us through things is when you get joint goals, joint mission, joint opportunities, coming at it from different perspectives. But success is when we can put the perspectives together to solve the problem. Right. That exists, but I don't think we operate that way in a lot of cases. Well, I agree. And let's, so you know what, very quickly, we'll talk our partnership. This is what I love about EPS. We're going to actually bring three of the officers that are part of the Y50 crew out of yeah. out of your youth unit they're going to come on the podcast here in a little while we're going to have a great conversation about what and we're also going to have one of our youth workers coming on from nice. our, one of our relentless youth workers that work with this y50 group yeah. and the beauty of what we're talking about is we are that hugs and kumbaya side you guys are the policing sides suppression yeah. at times but the beauty of these police officers that i know is that they actually care about these young people that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And I and what what I've always wanted for young people and for police is a humanization of one another. So the circle process. We use a circle process at UCAN. I know that you yeah. love the circle process. Roca down in Mali, they use a circle process. Yeah. We used to have circles, and I want to get this going again. Michelle Fillion and I used to set these up where we'd have at-risk youth and police sit in circle. Mm -hmm. And I would lead them, and, and, and we had a couple other people lead them. And it was about humanizing. Yeah. That's what it was. So I believe that this partnership that we're doing, although some of these young people, they're hard to catch. Yeah. We're putting some of them in jail from, for a little bit here and there because yeah. they need to. But the, the work that is being done between these two organizations, the partnership, which, by the way, as you know, they don't always see eye to eye. Yeah. Sometimes the police are going, no, this has to happen. And our youth workers going, no, this has to happen. They got to work that shit out. And they do. Right. You've seen the numbers. And I don't have them offhand. But, Dale, is this true? If the police can report uh, 10 to 15% decrease in anything, that's pretty good. Oh, yeah. This program, as you know, we're seeing... Uh, depending on what the category is, 25 to 48% decrease in some of this yeah. stuff. It's kind of unheard of, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and it's, it's not the easy ones you're dealing with. No. You're dealing with the most difficult. And when you're dealing with the most difficult, it generally means it's a lot of entrenched into the system. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity to do that has got a lot more relentless efforts than say somebody that's just entering the system that you're offering. Right. And the beauty of this is uh, this particular program is you guys don't take no for an answer. Mm, and we're relentless. That's relentless. <laughs> but and that was the the you know what we learned in Boston, and then mm. we sent some people out. They to taught me that. That's right. Yeah. So that's part of it. And then you look at that, and why we built this whole community safety and well being system is because now we've got you know the Y fifty Y five O being handled. We've got our diversion, warrant diversion team mm -hmm. that's actually cleaning up some of these minor warrants, but mm -hmm. also looking after some of the major warrants. Yep. So again, separating, getting the right ones into the right system. 
then you got the help team, which is our police and social workers, mm-hmm. and they're now taking some of our vulnerable to the system, and they're at a 30 to 40% re- reduction mm-hmm. rate. Then you got our PAC teams, which are police and crisis workers, that are hitting it out of the park as well, and now we're going 24-7, and that's dealing specifically with mental health, mm-hmm. shortening the wait times in the hospital. And then, then we have Health IM. Uh, now we have virtual opioid dependency program where people can access Suboxone and Sublocate in our DMU or cell block. You know, and uh, and then you know the next piece of that is to is to build a joint health and uh, police facility. Now Radius Health is running our old detention management unit in our old building. So what you're looking at there is you're starting to slow down your feeder system. Think if you had some of those mechanisms that were back to what we were talking about, if you had them in three of the regionalized First Nations, mm-hmm. if you had them in Wetaskiwin, which is a huge feeder system, yep. if you had them in Grand Prairie, and that comes with these recovery communities and basically stabilization before housing, right? If we get a system built, there's an opportunity to get a lot of stuff out of the system really quickly and shrink this fairly rapidly. It's a lot of hard work, sure. but everybody keeps waiting for it, making it about building a building. Let's build a building. Let's build a building. No, this isn't about a building. This is about what are we going to do in the short term? What are mm. we going to change in our process to connect people to services? And how mm. are we going to get them? How do we do it in the community? How do we do it here? How do you get them a job? When we studied corrections um, and we looked at anybody that uh, spent more than 75% of their adult life in jail, but they didn't serve any more than six months, and they actually looked at the gaps when they're out for a year or more. And was really interesting is there was two things that stood out in all the offenders as, as kind of things and uh, through a lot of the academics that we had hired. And the two things that made the biggest difference was uh, uh, um, the job and a relationship. That's right. And that's what you do. That's what you do. A job. We're, we're and big a believers in employment. Job and a relationship. That's right. You know what's not a criminogenic factor? Housing. Right. It's something that's absolutely essential. But sure it is. But there's a so we're focusing on the the infrastructure versus what the person needs to that's survive. Right. And that's what you guys have really right. hit at home on. Um Father Gregory Boyle from Homeboy Industries down in LA. You this guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's an interesting cat. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. an interesting cat. Amazing shit that they do down there, though, right? And and folks, check it out. Homeboy Industries. This guy started this in the nineties, I think, maybe late eighties, nineties, and basically started. They have businesses where they only hire gang members in East LA. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. He's got a saying that uh, the best way to stop a bullet: give a kid a job. And it sounds dramatic, but it's actually really true. And it used to sound dramatic for Edmonton, mm-hmm. but it's not anymore. Yeah. Like these young people that we're dealing with in the Y50, for those that don't know, it is the 50 most highest risk, most vulnerable young people in this community between the ages of, of 12 and 17 years old. And they're mostly in that 15, 16, 17. High level of violence. High level of violence. High, and it's all according to police data, which yeah. we love. Yeah. And that's who we're working with every year. That's who yeah. my youth workers are working with every year. Yeah. And here's the thing. It's not just, there's not just 50 of them. It's not just a list and we go, okay, there's only 50. What about 51, 52, 147, 291? Because they're there and and we have the numbers. And so that's where we need more youth workers. Hmm. That's because there's such a need. 
and I'm excited about what we're going to do in the future. Um, we're doing some great stuff, but we're going to do even more. Good. I really believe yeah, that. I think scaling so up exciting. is, uh, I mean, as I, as I said earlier, it's scale up or it's just start new. Right. Like scale up something that works. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Like, yeah. there's so many fu funders out there, and you know this, that are like, okay, we want, you know, it can't be for something that's already existing. Right, because it yeah. works. Yeah. Why the fuck would we make this better or like bigger? Because yeah. yeah. it's working, yeah. right? It just, some of that doesn't make sense to me. But, anyways. This has been a great conversation, Dale, and I, I think um, we're, we end every Relentless podcast with the Relentless quiz, hmm. and it's scientific. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> wasn't meant to be that funny, yeah. Dale. I, you know what I've decided? I want people, when you and I are together, I want people to call me Chip. Chip. And right. then when we walk in, it'll be like, hey, there's Chip and Dale. No? You're I looking pretty jacked. Yeah. <laughs> call you jack <laughs> listen okay i didn't i didn't i didn't talk about <laughs> i didn't talk about your hockey body yeah okay? <laughs> now you're saying how i'm <laughs> i love it this is what i love about you dale is i actually do think we chirp one another which i think is fun which i think is fun okay this is this is serious okay. let's be serious let's be serious chief fruits or vegetables Fruits. Okay. City or countryside? Countryside. Dirty bathroom or dirty kitchen? Gonna go with the dirty kitchen. Okay. Salty or sweet? Ooh, tough one, but I'm gonna go with salty. Gotta love chips. Okay. So it's, it's so crux. interesting. It's my crux. Most people go fruit and then they go salty. Yeah. Oh, you like the chips? Oh, yeah. I love chips, Favorite too. snack, yeah. This is why I think we're... Throw some salt and vinegar ch chips in the freezer. Oh. Yeah, try that one. Get Miss what? Vicky's. Get Miss Vicky's, throw them in a freezer. I've never heard of that. Well, you didn't know. What? Get uh, rid of world. Okay, I'm going to try... Because I'm going to say, well, what the, does it do? I'm going to try this. Builds the crunch. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, morning or night? You know what? I probably am a morning person. Okay. Bed to early? Bed early? Yeah. Yeah. You're getting old. Uh, <laughs> true. Favorite comedy movie? Ooh, comedy. This is a tough one because you're a, you're a fun guy. You're a funny guy. You like comedy. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what I would actually. Come on, you, you have to answer. Got to answer it, one. If not, it's skews because this goes into a computer. <sighs> well, it's not really a TV show, but I actually I'm a little late to the party. But I'm trying to. I've been watching that Ted Lasso here. Lately. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's awesome, man. Yeah, it's not bad, it's, it, and it is comedy. Yeah, it's got a lot of yeah. little bit of everything. Yeah, it, but there's a lot of life lessons, and as an athlete, a lot of coaching. Life. Yes, stuff. Yeah. like it's yeah. it's it is. Yeah. I swear yeah. to you. Now it's not a movie, so no, you know, yeah, but yeah. it it. Oh man, this is it. Might be the perfect show. Yeah, because it's got everything yeah. in it it's right little, and they're quick hitters oh, yeah. yeah and it's the british language humor, that we I can love. always understand <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> to the point yeah. yeah i love the british yeah. the british humor and the yeah. american yeah. humor coming together yeah i agree but the life lessons oh, yeah. like ted lasso is oh, yeah. just genius huge right huge. yeah i love it i love it uh big party or small gathering small gathering okay phone in the bathroom or no phone in the bathroom. Oh, uh, 
would I prefer or what do I do? I'd say phone in the bathroom. Yeah, okay. What I, Thank what I you do. for being honest. <laughs> because when you were thinking about it, you're probably thinking, do I say, oh, I actually bring it in? Yeah. Yes. Everybody brings a phone oh, in the yeah, bathroom. For sure it's do. the newspaper of yeah, today. That's right. That's what it is. That's right. That's where I, tick, that's where I watch my TikToks. <laughs> you watch TikTok? Once in a while. Yeah. TikTok's funny. Favorite love song of all time? Oh, God. Yeah, I, that's country. I'm going to go with a little something, probably. Think of your wedding song, Dale. Yeah, I can't remember it. Oh, God. Yeah, oh, my gosh. Tell, we're not going to tell you on that one. Yeah, no, she's going to listen to yeah, this I know, because I know not is, for yeah. you, but for yeah, me. She's yeah. going to listen. And the thing is, yeah. that's going to hurt her feelings, man. Yeah, I know. Shit. But I remember her, so that's good. So. <laughs> that's good that you remember yeah, her. No. So come on, there's got to be a lot of You know what? I, there's lots of them, but... Uh, yeah, I'm drawing, I'm drawing a blank okay. right now. Drawing okay, a blank. Man. Maybe by okay. the end of we're done, I'll come back. I thought you were more there. lovey. I thought I you were more lovey. I am a lovey guy. I know like you are. Me, man. You're a cuddler. Yeah, I want to give you a hug. I know. you. We have hugged. You're a cuddler. <laughs> you are a cuddler, and you can't yeah, remember yeah. a love song. That's okay. That's okay. Two questions left. Cake or pie? Probably cake. Cake. Nice. There's not a bad choice in no. my opinion, because I like them both, so there's Dude, not a bad I'm choice. I'm not really a sweets guy all that much, though. Mm, I'm a diabetic and I'm not a sweets guy, <laughs> yeah. which I'm a chips guy. Yeah, I, I chips. would take oh, yeah. chips oh, yeah. Salt over in yeah. the freezer, buddy. I know. I'm going to yeah. try this. Uh, last question for, of the quiz. Uh, I, I might have one or two more after this. Describe your relentless podcast experience in four words. Fun. Open. Good dialogue. Awesome. I'm going to tell you, you are relentless. You passed. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Just got to remember my first wedding song when we get. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I expect I'll to take test. this test tomorrow. Yeah, I expect it. Yeah, when you talk to your wife. <laughs> Can yeah. I call a friend? Yeah, you, you should have had a call a friend for that one. God. I'm like, I'm worried oh, she's about gonna you. She's going to kill me. She's yeah, going to kill me. Because it's going to yeah. come out in probably yeah. a couple of weeks. It's and too you're much pressure trouble. on me. Eh? You're in too trouble. much pressure on me. Um, you know what? It was just some old stuff. But then you got to run the risk of, well, why was that your favorite love song? Yeah. I, there's, so, yeah. There's, uh, so you got to. Yeah. There, so there, it's better to not remember there, sometimes. There you know that, right? Oh, dude. There is a love song that it, every time it comes on, because it was me and the. Like, I really only had one girlfriend for my wife because yeah. I was so popular. Yeah. Um, and they so weren't like, beating down the door. New, oh, new. I know it's tough to believe, right? I even had an amazing mullet back in the day, and yeah. they weren't. Anyways, listen, I wasn't a dub. You'd have been a okay, kiss, okay, I, Beth. I, no, I was. I was. Uh, I was a really good house league player. Okay, not a, not yeah. a dub guy. Yeah. Anyways, there is a song, and always if it comes on, I go, "Oh my gosh!" To my wife, I go, "That's our song," because she knows it's not. Yeah. She knows it was me and the other girls, and she's <gasps> like, she just looks at me. She's just such an asshole. <laughs> it's not like she's jealous yeah. now. Like she's yeah. worth thirty. She's years over in, it. Right? Right? She's over it now. Um, can I tell you that I once the the love song question to me is a great question to ask yeah. at meetings and i actually think you should bring it into me it's yeah. a good icebreaker if you will okay that old term icebreaker and i used to be on the reach edmonton board yeah <laughs> i don't know i think this is funny maybe not everybody else does and uh i had to run a couple of their board meetings because i was vice chair and the chair didn't show up and the the chief before you rod oh yeah. yeah um listen i'm gonna throw it out there i i didn't know the man well but i will say this he wasn't a smiley fella. 
Okay, is what I, is what I'm gonna say. Okay. He he wasn't super cheery, and he wasn't like yeah. he wasn't inviting, is what I'll say. So he was at one of these meetings, and so when I run a meeting, I always ask stupid questions because I don't think they're stupid. I think they're great. You get to know people. So, anyways, uh, he sits down. He's a little bit late. Shows up with a couple people. Says, sits down. He's, he's just to be honest, he's just kind of being rod. And so then I'm leaning. I go, okay, folks, hey, this one. There's probably about, I don't know, 12, 14 people at the table. I go, okay, we're going to start the meeting. I'm chairing it. Sorry, I'm chairing it because everyone's dressed nice. I'm probably dressed like a fucking youth worker. And I go, okay, uh, I love to start meetings, though, with a fun question so we get to know one another. Uh, favorite love song of all time and why? And out of the corner of my eye, I see the chief of police, Rod. He, he looks at his other staff person, like the, a look of like, what the fuck did this guy just ask? What am I supposed to say in front of all these people? And then he turns and I look at him. And if looks could kill, I would not be here right now. Gets to him. He goes, uh, yeah, I'll pass on that. Yeah. Like not even a fun dialogue. Yeah. I'll pass on that. Yeah. I go, all right, dude. Sorry, man. I go, how about, how about a wedding song? No, I'll pass. Yeah. So I appreciate that you're fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You got to be to you. I think you mentioned it earlier is if you're, not human and you're not genuine it's uh you know that's really what it's about it's these are titles these aren't who we are right so authentic and at the end of the day it's i always uh one of the things that stuck with me early on was it was actually an indigenous elder actually kind of like a co-come to me there said you know what's you'll be measured by the creator and what you did with the time and talent he or she gave you so if you think about that we don't know how much time we have but Mm. you know if you surround yourself with talent you got to much better chance of succeeding than just trying to do it yourself so well i feel like you are a talented guy that i'm lucky to know and uh i don't say that trying to kiss your ass i say that authentically um this is what i like about you because i i describe myself this way uh, and obviously i like myself is (laughs) is i say i'm an executive director who does not take himself seriously But I take our work very seriously. Yeah. And I actually look at you kind of that way. You, 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 you get it. And I appreciate that. Chief, I'll call you Chief to end this. Sounds good, buddy. I appreciate you being on here. I'm hopeful that uh, maybe one day our wives will hang out and meet um, because they could probably look at each other and say, how do you, how do you live with that, man? Yeah. Um, actually, they, they don't really know us. Yeah. But you get what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. yeah it's um, all good. And I, I appreciate your openness today. I appreciate the laughs, the good times, but I appreciate your wisdom and your insights. And, and I really hope that people, I know people are going to get a lot out of this conversation. Where, are you, where do we find you on the socials? Are you, you are on the Twitter. I know that. Yeah. You are know you, what? Like, Most of our Twitter now, my folks monitor that. Okay. I try to stick to anything that I put on serious nature is, is my LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, but you know, certainly I have a profile on, uh, most of them, uh, our folks kind of monitor that. I think it's part of it. And, yep. Um, but they but, can find you. You're an easy guy oh, to find yeah, on yeah, the old interweb. Yeah, I'm not hard to find. Yeah, no, yeah. you're not. Um, Apparently, you can find my hockey stats, too. You can. That's hockey DB. <laughs> I'm telling you, folks, look those up because they were impressive. Yeah. They were impressive. Um, but I'm glad you told the story of what happened because I was like, oh. He's just a quitter. You know, but you, you weren't just a quitter. The, the one thing that I didn't talk about, I'll just end with that maybe, is you know the best part of who I am is obviously married for a long time. Mm. Uh, been going on 34 years. Three daughters. Mm. Uh, expecting the first grandchild. Uh, mm. all, 
I got a, a, a teacher, a nurse, and an engineer, and uh, they've all got some pretty good guys right now. So hopefully it all stays that way. But mm. those are probably the things that I'm most proud of. So. Mm. It makes sense. It makes sense. And it makes sense that you have those things. You're a family-oriented guy. And, uh, and I know how much you love your girls, all oh, four yeah. of them, right, <laughs> which is awesome. So um, you are in trouble, though, for the wedding. So. Oh, yeah. Okay, Dale, this has been good. Folks, if you want to find You Can Use Services and you go to www.youcan.ca, that's Y-O-U-C-A-N.ca. And uh, you go on there, you check out our programs. You can check out our Relentless program that we do with Dale and his crew. You can check out our Relentless merchandise, which I would love for you to go buy because every penny goes to our programs. And you can even donate to us to help us with our work. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Dale, for being here. And until next time, be relentless. This series is proudly produced by the team at Road 55. Road 55 creates content that connects. For more information, check our website, www.road55.ca.